I think there's probably a few people sneaking out to get some getaways in before school starts, but school is coming quick. Seems like the, short, the summers get shorter every year. Am I, is that just me? Maybe they legitimately are, and I'm just not paying attention to the, the calendar. But um, Well, I'm Pastor Eric. I'm one of the pastors here on, uh, at Common Ground Northeast. And if you, if you haven't been here for a while, or if you're new here today, I just want to say hello. We have been studying the book of Ephesians, which is a letter that Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to a specific city called Ephesus. And um, we've done a lot of work to track through what was going on culturally in that. And so all of it's going to pour into what's happening today. But um, as, as you, you might know, we're kind of in the middle of that. And we're going to um, see that Paul is transitioning here. He's hit a pretty major turning point in what's happening inside of the letter that he wrote. Um, And there's a word that he has introduced to us that we often maybe use in different ways. It's the word apocalypse, right? So we have zombie apocalypses. Uh, If you've ever played the Exploding Kittens game, card game, I know it's wild. There's an apocalypse in there. Um, But the idea is that it's a great revealing. Something that was hidden is now revealed, and it's big. Something that was darkened has been illuminated. And what I want us to understand here is that there is this transition that Paul is going to take us on as we turn the corner from an oddly clean, this is the first half of this letter, and now we're moving to the second. Okay, and, and it's um, it uniquely um, built to be very overt in this. So the first three chapters are the beginning. It's packed full of all kinds of Old Testament imagery, illustrations showing us how to have a new gospel identity, that God is building a new humanity, and that there is a new family that he is putting together that represents him on this earth. So we share in his death, resurrection, and the rule over the cosmos um, but remember, as we're, I don't know why, but this thing like sticking up there is bothering me. So I'm going to come to this side so I can't see it. Um, he, it's all embedded in this Hebraic understanding of heaven and earth overlapping, which I've tried to, to um, bring up to our attention over and over. And that Paul mentions over and over that these two worlds, heaven is not a, a destination that you go to, um, depending on how you did on this earth, but it's actually a realm that exists with spiritual beings. They overlap every once in a while. It peeks through and it gets weird in our world. Um, but these are realities that he sees and we get to be a part of seeing all these things. And he's going to change from like reality, identity, truth to asking this next question in the second half of what do we do with all of that stuff? Practically speaking, if all of that's true, thanks, Paul, we got it. Like, it was big. It's, hey, there's a big revealing. It was a little bit paradigm shifting. A little bit. It was a lot paradigm shifting. But now the question is, okay, so now what? What do you want us to do with all of that information? And so the rest of this letter transitions to begin answering that question. Some of those are going to talk about the inward communal relationship, how we, with applicable tools, um, interact with one another as a unified body of Christ. Last week did a great job of covering this unified directive that is given to them that brings the church into its maturity. Our maturity is um, on display through the level of unity we are able to uh, interact with and engage with, right? And so we have this this part, let me read just this little bit. It said that there is a calling to which we have been called um, to act with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Some are easier than others, right? Amen. Be honest. Making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is no, one body. There is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. If you didn't catch, oneness is the theme. 
And Pastor Ken did a great job of helping us understand this is all stick-together language that requires that we be mature and reveals our maturity through what we are able to accomplish. But what's going to also happen is not just internal, it's external. How we are supposed to act, how we are supposed to interact with the world around us, the gospel life and habits that should be true of us to make good with the fact that our identity is already there. Like we get that this world, heaven, heaven in its fullness is going to hit this place, but we're not there yet. There's still some things, but we're, we see glimpses of it in each other's lives. We see glimpses of it in the way God um, helps us as people, little miracles on this earth. Um, but there's also this way in which we're supposed to act habits that we need to catch ourselves up to. And God says, you are this, now act like it. There's also people that need to be brought into this family. So act like it so they want to be a part of this family. So it's important for us to understand this isn't just like, that's what he said, so here's what you're supposed to do about it. It's true, that's, that's a simple way of putting it, but the apocalypse means that God has introduced us to a cosmic new reality, a cosmic new heavenly identity where these worlds are colliding. So now with that in our minds, what can our imaginations produce into the reality of everyday life? And he shows us what it looks like in Ephesus. And we get the benefit of overhearing that. So there's going to be some translative need in our culture. What do we reimagine in our life and the way we live today here in Indianapolis as Common Ground Northeast? All right. Um, this is that moment when you take all that we thought we knew, all that we thought we understood, all that we thought we realized, and it gets expanded. And I used the metaphor before that it's like this cave. I'm not like a cave person. I love it when there's a situation where I'm at a cave. I'm not like a, 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 an explorer. But, but have you ever been in that situation or watched a movie or been in a, in a um, seen the, the example where you go into one area and it's, wow, this is really big, and then you find, oh, there's a crevice here. You go back into it and you realize there is an even larger cavern just around the corner. And then you move on and go into a different place and you realize, whoa, this cave, that was just like the baby cave at the beginning. This is the real, no, there's a giant cave. And the more that you realize, the more you bring your light into the more it expands and the more you realize this thing was bigger than I realized. And the, and, and, and the, the um, life with God is like that. I want to use one more metaphor. It was just too good for me not to use. There is this artist, um, uh, uh, it's a duo, that, that um, create these really cool depictions um, of everyday life, but they do it out of trash. So what happens is they arrange the trash and almost always in the exhibit, it's like, there's a corner, you're here, and all you can see at first is, well, I mean, I'm going into this art exhibit and there's just a bunch of trash on the ground. Maybe I, maybe I just don't get it, right? Like, I, I don't know, it just looks like Coke cans and random business on the ground. But as you turn the corner, you realize the light is in such a way that it reveals something like this. So it's a table. There's, there's cans, there's all kinds of stuff there. But in the background, when the light is put on it, you realize that it has been arranged so that it creates a silhouette of a cityscape. All right? Let's take a look at one more. That's a little bit more detailed, right? Still trash, and there's some narrative to look at. It's a lot of junk food, and kind of the idea was what are the youth up to if not junk food and sitting around? But the idea is that something that maybe others might see as... Um, trash, it's garbage, actually can create something beautiful when you have the right kind of light shined on it. So, so 
So here, here what we have in front of us is this idea where God has illuminated, shined a light on something, and it has opened up new possibilities that we didn't realize. All of a sudden, what looks like uselessness is turning into something beautiful. So what do we do with the things we already think are useful? Even better. And so God turns on this light, the angle's right, it illuminates what we couldn't see before, now all of a sudden we're able to see something. In the same way, the ancient thinkers often depicted moral ignorance, all right, follow me on that, as a blindness, a kind of blindness, or a darkened mind would be a common phrase. And if you put the right kind of light on it, that it reveals this greater or higher understanding. The Greek writers did the exact same thing. Paul is going to use a similar technique today. He's going to contrast opposites, illuminate some things so that we realize there's something beautiful to be seen if we're looking for it. So Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17, if you have your scriptures or you have a, a, a device to be able to open it up, Ephesians 4, 17 is where we're going to pick up. All right. It says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their mind thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Okay, that sounds pretty harsh in our modern day sensibilities. Tame it down, Paul. Chill out, man. It's, it's one of those moments where you kind of want to step back, but he's got a purpose for the language that he is using. And you also might notice, like, why does he name the Gentiles again? Didn't we just spend so much work at breaking down the barriers between the Jew and Gentile? Well, Paul is trying to help us as he's turning a corner in his direction. He wants to make sure it's very clear we're turning to a corner together in, in the direction that I want us to go. So he's using jarring language, contrasting language, language familiar at that time that shows this idea in as much detail as he possibly can that there is behavior that matches the gospel identity that you have already been given. So start to act like it. Identify these things and begin to change them. And he uses this Gentile identifier to make a point. I want to read from you the InterVarsity um, IVP cultural commentary says, what is significant is that Paul refuses to call ethnically Gentile Christians Gentiles any longer, even though they have not converted. Remember, he doesn't require they turn to become converted Jews. They can actually follow God as Gentiles. They may be ethnic, ethnically Gentile, that's fine, but they are to be ethically Jewish, which is the example that God has been building inside of the Jews the whole time. Throughout the Old Testament, think, think of the Ten Commandments, think of all these different things that God has been doing. He is specifically mentioning sexuality and idolatry, which were considered typical in the Gentile community um, that almost all, all Jewish people abstained from. So what he's doing, he's like, there's obvious some, some, some behaviors that the Gentiles are known for, famous for, that the Jews are known for, famous for not doing, and in this way, I need you all to realize that there is some ignorance going on over here, and I, and I have to bring you along into seeing the way that I want you to move. So they expect, by contrast, that the Greeks, um, uh, the Greek and or Gentile people uh, inside of the culture of Ephesus would shift over. Now, I've mentioned this before. 
because um, around the age of 17, when I came to church for the very first time, I had a fully developed sense of morality that I brought with me. Right? It wasn't a blank slate. I didn't just walk in and have nothing. I had things that had been taught to me my, by my family, things that had been taught to me by my upbringing, things that I had learned just like on the streets in the general way in which you were discipled by the things that are around you, the influences that you take into your life. And that could be things you've watched on TV down to the, the moral at the end of the cartoon that you loved best, whatever that happened to be. Um, and, and as I walk into this church world, there is an entire framework that I I knew, I believed, I held as a confident level of this is what's right and this is what's wrong. What is appropriate with spiritual behaviors? But I also was okay in that moment casually playing around with spiritual things like Ouija boards, believing that my dream catcher up on my wall would stop nightmares. And I was having during that time in my life, there was all these new age things I was dabbling in to bring it into summary. And I thought that was fine. I, I believed I had appropriate, um, un, un, an appropriate understanding of sexuality, parameters that I deemed correct before I was made aware of the gospel. I believed that I knew habits of retribution, that if I was wronged on the streets, surely an eye for an eye makes sense. Does that make sense? You have all these things that are kind of in there, and, and all of you have them too, right? Just rules that you've picked up along the way. If they hit me, I can hit them back. It's only what's right. There is more, uh, right? I could go into others, but you get the point. I had a framework of right and wrong, and when I began to read the scriptures, God started to systematically confront these things in me. I started going to church. I started to read the Bible. I realized that what I thought was right was actually not right in some cases. Sometimes it affirmed it. Yeah, you got this one. But there were some things that I really didn't want to let go of. God shed light on me and revealed to me that it was a form of idolatry or relational selfishness. Or I had um, to take all of the things that I learned from my street background, lay it on the altar of God's understanding, and let it be interrogated by the gospel of Jesus. Has anyone else had that experience? Okay, here's the twist. Don't write me off as just legalistic because after being in the church for a while, I realized they didn't have it all together either. I came in from a different perspective. I stepped through these doors. I'm reading these things with a high level of like literalness and I'm like, oh, so they must believe these things. And then as I start to interact with people, I'm like, oh, you don't, you're not, you're not actually doing that. Like I, I just read Jesus did A, B, or C and you all like kind of do A, B, and C, but there's a way in which it, it changes a little bit. And so I realized that there were some things that were deemed correct or tolerated or accepted as uh, lesser sins inside of this white suburban middle-class church that I was a part of. There was idolatry in the form of Christian nationalism, reliance on political power, military power, the likes of which I had never seen in my life. I mean, that's not coming from a persuasion and walking in. That's me having no understanding of this and then wondering, why does everyone care so much about this? There are financial idols and hidden forms of sexuality. It's not so hidden in an under-resourced culture. Like everyone just realizes we're all messed up, so we just don't worry about hiding that stuff. It gets hidden when you walk into the suburbs, all right? It's not gone. There's inconsistent cultural ethics. So I would be listening to my music. Y'all remember back in the day with compact discs, CDs? I'm looking at you, Lucy. Nope, nope. 
and you would put them in the little sleeve and, uh, you know, if you had a CD in your car, a CD player in your car or whatever, or just you'd keep them all together. You could open up and flip through all of your compact discs um, and pick a CD out, plop it in, play the song, right? Do the thing. Every time I would go to church and go to a camp, they would say, oh, there's only some certain things you can listen to. Can I look at your, your CDs? I'm like, all right. So I hand it over. Nope, nope, nope. Can't listen to that. Nope, nope. And even compelled to burn them, throw them into a fire later. Now, I'm not, I, I'm not just, just well, well let, me, let me move to the next, next space. Because, because where I had to like hand over my, my all eyes on me, Tupac, right? Yeah. Um, somehow Keith Urban was okay. <laughs> and they're, they're like, they're searching through everyone else's stuff. But like, do you, do you know what those songs are saying? Well, that's just like good old-fashioned, good old boy fun. Oh, okay, wait, hold on. So that's okay, but you gotta, I'm, I gotta burn my discs. You, do you see how there is this point, like, these, there, there is a, a cultural norm that was given a pass because of culture, not because of the Bible. And so country music was fine, even though it's got its misogynistic, patriarchal, it's co-signed by the churches that I would be around. We could throw, uh, we could throw Jason Aldean in this right now. Do we want to have that conversation? There's things that get co-signed. Do you, do you see that? So it turns out that there's problematic discipleship from the suburban norms too. Now, I'm not hating on it. This is what I'm saying. In the same way I had to lay this thing down at the altar and say, Jesus, vet it for me. The suburbs also have to take their world, put it on the altar of Jesus Christ and really look at that thing, interrogate it and understand, wait, am I just, do I just like this better so I'm letting it go? And is, this more, is this sin more familiar to me so I'm letting that go? And so what has to happen in there is both worlds have to be interrogated by the scriptures. So to this day, uh, and I hope you are too, I am still finding personal and public forms of um, ethical idolatry, immorality in myself, things that have to be discipled out of me, both from the streets and from the suburbs, because I spent some time in there too, and measure them against the example of the life of Christ that we read about here. Reflect on my habits with the influence of the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, is this okay? Is this not okay? Do I need to shift it? Is it redeemable? It's okay in the right context? Or does this just need to go? I had to reflect on that. As I read the Bible and critically evaluate the ways of life I embrace, God is still changing me. And that's the thing about this light. That's the thing about it. It, It's not discriminating. It is sitting... uh, In such goodness, such radiance, this light drops down that when it falls on us, it will find the futility, the ignorance, the unhealthiness, the darkness in humanity anywhere it exists without hesitation. And so our response is important. We can allow ourselves to become defensive. We can allow that to build up in us. We can um, hear that little voice that says, dig your heels in and just fight for what you want to keep. But God says in the verse we just read, yeah, that's that hardened heart thing I was talking about. And he's doing it in a gentle whisper. 
He's doing it in a way that says, look, it's not just the barrier of our ignorance that gets illuminated when the light's on us. It's the callous heart that tells us, don't say yes to this. Don't lay that thing down to look at the infinite God of the universe and say in all of my wisdom of put whatever years you want to put in there. On this earth, I know better than you, God. And he's like, no, no. I know it feels like that from your sin, but, but here's what the scriptures say. It says, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his goodness and grace that draws us, not fear. None of this, nothing that I'm saying right now is for the purpose of condemnation or punishment. It is so that we can discover that there is a better kind of humanity that we can live into. There is a better way to be human, that we can overcome layers of hardness of heart, that we can soften our hearts and learn from that and let the voice in our mind say, oh, that way of life I thought was good, but now it's not. I, it's not. I realize it's actually not helpful. That's not the right way to be human. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, not defensiveness, but thank you for letting me know this, illuminating our hearts so you're like, oh, this thing that I always thought was right is actually kind of destructive and it didn't hurt anyone, but now I realize it actually can hurt a lot of people. There's a lot of people that I'm connected to that are working around this. It's setting me up for destruction. And now bring in the spiritual realm that I taught on a couple weeks ago. There are bad Elohim who want to exasperate that, who want to push on that. There are those in, uh, in alignment with um, uh, uh, the, the enemy, the adversary, the liar, who wants to deceive us into thinking that destructive habits are actually a form of good, embedding them in everything from the streets to the suburbs, embedding them in everything from the family to church communities to governing of nations. It's exasperating it, trying to make it even worse. All right, let's jump back into verse 21. I'm going to read a couple things, make a few more observations as we close up here. But um, verse 21, it says, For surely you have heard about him and were taught in him. They're talking about Jesus. As truth, in it, as truth is in Jesus. To put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to clothe yourselves with this new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul just compared a life change and behavioral shift to a wardrobe change. Any of you do acting or drama, maybe in high school, um, later on in college, maybe you do it now? There's a wardrobe change because you have to go from becoming that person into becoming this person. And sometimes it happens quick behind the scenes from time to time. If you've ever watched something, this is all going on without you realizing it, but something is being taken off so that something else can be brought on and we're understanding that there's a better way to be human, better way to be the family of Christ. And so there's layers of Ephesian influence that the people coming into this church of Ephesus are bringing with them. And it doesn't have to be Ephesus. It could be the Egyptian influence that we've talked about that's so hard to get out. It could be Babylon. It could be America for all I care in the midst of all of these things. There are things to be shed in the midst of all of this that we pick up along the way, but we have to take off layers of cultural misdiscipleship, bringing them off. Um, l- let me bring it even to, to a more, because this one's, this one's easier to hold on to. Um, survival skills that are actually unhealthy because we endured some kind of pain in our history. We have to shed those things. 
Take off the layers of alienation from God. Take off what was built up, callousness, hardening of hearts so that we can take it off, lay down the clothing, the wardrobe of our former ways, and put on this new self that represents the purity of the Garden of Eden, the purity of this heavenly realm that we've been talking about. In verse 25, it continues, said very specifically, so then putting away falsehood. Let each of you speak the truth with your neighbor, for we are members of one another. That's one, he's, ra- he's going to rattle them off. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So we got parameters for how we're supposed to manage that. And do not make room for the devil. So here's the why. If you go to bed angry, you're actually leaving a- an opening for the enemy to start manipulating that situation. Okay, um, we're learning things, right? We're, we're being illuminated. Those who steal must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor doing good work with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Now, this is what I want you to see. He's not just rattling things off. He's making a, pros and, a, a compare and contrast list. Don't do this, but instead, do this. Don't do this, but instead, I'm gonna come back to that. Just hold on to that. Let no, verse 29, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good for building up as there is need. So get rid of the evil talk and add in building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption, but put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. Like I like it, and he's just like all the bad things, just okay, all, all the things. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And we could spend our lives just working on this list, our whole lives, making changes in our hearts, making changes in our lives, trying to make our behaviors and habits agree with the identity that has been given to us. But what I want you to see is that he just gave us this list of there is a kind of humanity that is the old humanity, and there is a kind of humanity that is a new humanity. And if you drop those things, in fact, I want you to see just this picture. I took a screenshot of something that I was looking at. Just a little list. The old humanity, take off your old human of your former way of life that is being ruined by deceptive design. So it's it's a summary. It's not all the words, but you see what's going on. We've got one side on the left, anger, stealing, rotten speech. That's a good euphemism. I like that. Just rottenness, right? No bitterness, anger, wrath, yelling, blasphemy, and then put on something else, being renewed in the spirit of your mind that has been created. Now, now go ahead and leave this up, Mark, as we finish out, because this is this is what I want you to see. It's like he's giving this compare and contrast table that's helpful because um, habits are really hard to break, right? I'm going to say that again. Habits are really hard to break, right? They're habits. That's what they do. They build into our life. They become a rut that you can get stuck in. Sometimes habits are good. Sometimes they're bad. But in regard to spiritual disciplines, check this out. This is what uh, famously Dallas Willard said. Your system is perfectly designed to yield the result you are getting. Your system is perfectly designed to yield the result you are getting. And so whatever system of discipleship, whatever thing you take in, whatever media you choose to turn the channel to and listen to, whatever books you bring in, whatever movies you bring in, I can keep the list going, but all of these things are the system you have created to form the discipleship that is in your heart. So which one does it line up better with? 
The old humanity or the new humanity? The old humanity or the new humanity? We have systems then we build ways, uh, uh, systems around those frameworks that create uh, uh, affirmations of those things. We begin thinking like those things. We have habits of mental conditioning and brain wiring, right? If you want to go scientific with neoplasty, right? Like we, your brain starts to become uh, uh, shaped by the things that you uh, put into it unhealthy survival habits that I mentioned that we've built just to help us survive or get past trauma in our history, patterns of thought that are moving in our old humanity with a kind of inertia that you can't just stop at cold turkey sometimes. It's built into the way that we live our lives. So we often need to replace a bad habit with a good one so that we can break the cycle and break the system that we're operating in. So look what Paul just did. I'm just, I'm not telling you not to do a bunch of things. I'm telling you, take that thing, replace it with something else because you're going to, has has anyone had to do this? It's it's not like, I did did a diet shift a few years ago and so it's not just stop eating the candy, it's pick up something healthy, throw that in your bag so that you have a bag of carrots there to eat instead of the thing you were eating. Don't just try to get rid of the bad stuff. Replace it with something healthy, something good. So find the thing you can replace it with and start keeping that around. When you're in the middle of some kind of uh, uh, shift in your life, instead of just sitting around and watching another episode on Netflix, I'm not hating on Netflix, it's great, whatever. I'm sure the shows you watch are amazing and super uplifting. Uh, But... um, but it's not just saying, hey, I'm going to get up, I'm going to stop, I'm going to get up and actually choose to do something in exchange. So I'm going to go for a walk or go for a run or whatever it might be, right? Instead of just disbelieving a lie, let me think mentally, not just, not just physical, but mentally, disbelieving a lie, often it helps for you to say, I'm going to find the opposite of that lie and begin speaking that in my life over and over until that truth is louder than the lie. Again, he's saying, Take the old thing, get rid of it, but replace it with good stuff. Okay, so let me give a prayer um, example. That person that annoys you, that neighbor that uh, bothers you, the one that you don't like to talk, the one that you might every once in a while say some unkind things about when they're not around, I want you to commit to start praying for that person and asking for good things to happen in their life and ask God to do uh, work in their life and your heart to start to change the way you are viewing that person. You exchange it, something bad for something good. And so Paul knows this. And here's the question. What is it that you're sitting here thinking that God, maybe that's the thing that needs to change? Has God or the Holy Spirit been bringing something to your mind throughout this? Or, um, and this, this just popped in, is there something as we're talking about that you're like, I hope he doesn't talk about that thing. I hope that doesn't get in the list because I'm not ready to give that thing up. So, so ask yourself, what exchange, not just give up, but what exchange? And, and I want you to understand that there's not a person in here that doesn't realize we don't change overnight. Understand that there is, uh, there is beyond just, there's the gentle whisper of God and his kindness leading us to things so that you can come into agreement with the kind of humanity he's won, but there's also a room full of people who have a history of having sinned most, if not all of our lives. So you're in good company if you've got some things to work at because we've all got things to work at and no one gets to point the finger. 
So here's the thing. What is God telling you? Like, what can I begin? What can I take the first step on? What's the thing that God's bringing to mind? What's the thing I wish Eric or the pastors here would just not talk about that thing and avoid that part? What is God illuminating on your life to show you that there's something beautiful depicted on the wall behind it that you could be moving towards? Something you're holding onto that he's saying, let go of that. Something that you thought was right, correct, or good morally, and God's saying, actually, I need you to believe me on this one. Something that even you thought was biblical, scriptural, and he's saying, look, I've got some things I need you to keep reading. It's the whole counsel of scripture, not just the verse that you got fixated on. So I want you to start to take the world that you come from, the things that have discipled you, the streets that discipled you, the suburbs that discipled you, and allow God's light to be shed on it so that you can realize where it aligns with him and where it isn't in alignment. This is your plumb line. This is your plumb line. And all church cultures have, have got it wrong somewhere. So maybe you're hearing something from God today. Maybe you're just in a place where you're like, I, I don't really know what God's maybe illuminating, but I need to maybe pray and ask God, what is the next thing? That's a hard prayer. Like, I'm, God, stir up some stuff in my life. It's not fun. But it's helpful, it's healthy, it's the, it's the incision before the bad thing gets taken out so that you can heal up the right way. I haven't changed in a while, God, what's left, what's next? Shed some light on me and show me what my next project is, what needs to be chiseled out, what thing, what behavior do I need to begin adjusting? And so for some, you know what it is, for some of you, you don't, and you need to ask God, what's my next move, God, what's the thing? Some others in here just need to be reminded that in preparation, um, uh, so in preparation for this, um, this sermon, this table that, that we have, it started to, it started to um, uh, bring an idea to mind that I wasn't really thinking of when it comes to, to um, making changes that we can at times, without realizing it, settle into something bad and not realize that we have forfeited something in the future. Now, let me make sense. Again, I was prepping this, and this just came to me when I was doing it. I had a situation where God told me, do something good. Memorize scripture was what it was. I'll just say it. And I'm like, well, I mean, I've always got a Bible or that you can look it up on the app. I don't need to do it. And it was at a camp, and I was in high school, and like, memorize these scriptures. Really internalize them. Get them in your head. And I'm like, why? I've always got this Bible with me. I can put it in my backpack or whatever. I'll memorize it for my spirit points. Anyone have spirit points at their camp? I earned all the spirit points, regurgitated as quick as I could, walked away and forgot it. And then a few years later, God brought this back up and I realized, man, you know what would be awesome right now is if I had these verses memorized. And God's like, oh yeah, remember 18, 17, 18 years old? Hey, remember that time? If you had just been obedient to me here, you would have this now. I'm the God of all wisdom. I was trying to let you know. And if I'm honest, I wanted to, to do this thing so bad. I wanted to have these verses so memorized. I started crying. Because I realized, man, I just should have listened. I just should have listened to you, God. So here, here's what I want you to see. Sometimes God is just giving you something, a step of obedience, that will pay dividends down the line that you have no clue how bad you might want those things. And back here, you're like, I don't know, it's whatever. Like, I, I can find ways to justify not doing whatever God's doing. But if you actually knew, if he revealed to you what you were going to be opened up to, what opportunity would be open to you in that moment in the future, if you listen back here, there's no way you would make the exchange. There's no way you would make the exchange.
And so pray maybe along those lines. And here's just the last one. When we think of this as discipleship, we think of it beyond just it's us on the line. And so what habit that you're willing to tolerate in your own life do your kids in the next generation see? That's one of the biggest lights we can shine on our lives. If you know any, if you have kids or don't know and you just think to yourself, um, uh, if, if my kids, are, I'm, I'm okay letting this thing slide, whatever the habit is, but if my kids started doing it, no, I mean, no, that's not good. That's light being shined in your life to show you then you probably also should consider maybe not doing that thing. So what is it that God's bringing to your mind? Maybe you have nothing and you just need to stop and pray. Maybe God's asking you to move in obedience because there is a future reward that if you knew, if you knew it, you'd be obedient now. Or maybe there's something that you're realizing should not pass, be passed on to the next generation from your life. Now I wanna, I wanna pray and ask God for whatever he's revealing to you. And as a work in progress myself, as a work in progress as a community, we also look back to Ephesians 2.10 that we are a masterpiece that he's building up together. That we are a community of people that he is molding, chiseling things, building not just new humans but new families together. And so we let go of the old so that we can embrace the new. May we have as much grace for each other as God has had for us. Hear that. May we be always in a discovery mode instead of defensive mode so that God can illuminate and maybe even re-illuminate the things in our life because there's always, always something new for us to be moving on, a way for us to be getting closer and closer into the image and likeness of Jesus. And so I wanna pray a prayer over us today as we move into our response time. And uh, would, you, would, you, um, would you just maybe be open to receiving this prayer right now? Just close your eyes and maybe um, as as a symbol of just openness, open your hands out in front of you like this. It doesn't have to be big, nothing dramatic, but just symbolize, God, I'm open. And so, Father, we come to you knowing that the reading of the word reads our hearts. And we thank you for the beauty of your illuminating, radiant light that is constantly revealing a new ethic, a new politic to us, revealing where we can enter into a new kind of human, a new kind of community, a new set of behaviors, and a new humanity. So let God, let our sanctification and transformation into that new human become mature. Be growing, always growing in deep. If we know a lesson, God, let us get better at that lesson. If there's something we need to let go, let us let go. Father, if there's something we need to put in its place and make an exchange for, bring that thing to mind so that we can start doing and being the things that you have already called us. May we be mature, may we grow, and may we be changed to come into alignment with it. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We lift these things up all right now in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen, amen.